This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This is True Crime Psychology and Personality, where we discuss the pathology behind some of the most horrific crimes and those who committed them from a scientifically informed perspective. I'm Dr. Todd Grande. I have a PhD in counselor education and supervision, and I'm a licensed professional counselor of mental health. Dr. Todd Grande, that's my YouTube channel. Today's question is, can I analyze the case of Todd Mullis? otherwise known as the Cornrake Killer. So first I'll start with a brief background. There's not much background information available in this case. I'll move to the timeline of the crime, then offer my analysis. Starting with the background, Todd and Amy Mullis married on September 11, 2004. Eventually, they would have three children. They lived on a farm in Earlville, Iowa. Before I get to the timeline of the crime, let's hear a word from today's sponsor, Stamps.com. Are you still going to the post office, still paying full price for postage? Thanks to Stamps.com, you don't have to anymore. Mail and ship anytime, anywhere, right from your computer. You can send letters and ship packages for less through discounted rates from the United States Postal Service, UPS, and more. Businesses can save thousands of hours and significant quantities of money with Stamps.com. Stop wasting time going to the post office and go to Stamps.com instead. There's no risk. And with my promo code, Dr. Grande, you get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Dr. Grande. That's stamps.com, promo code Dr. Grande. Stamps.com. Never go to the post office again. This takes us to the timeline of the crime. We move to November 10, 2018. At this time, Todd Mullis is 43 years old and Amy Mullis is 39. According to Todd Mullis, he, his wife, and his 13-year-old son, Tristan, were working in a hog building on the farm. His wife appeared to get dizzy. He said this may have been explained by a surgery she had only days before. He told her to go in the house and rest, but not before stopping in the shed and picking up a pet carrier to put kittens in later. Mullis and his son continued to work in the hog building. Not long after this, he went to the front office of that building to get a drink, and he noticed the pet carrier wasn't where he told his wife to put it. Mullis sent Tristan to investigate. Upon discovering Amy Mullis injured, Tristan yelled for his father. Todd Mullis ran over to the shed to find his wife in a crouched position 
just inside the doorway with a four-tine corn rake impaled in her back. Mawa said he tried to get her out of the building, but the rake was hitting fertilizer crates. He pulled the rake out of her back, carried her out of the shed, and put her in his pickup truck on Tristan's lap. He started driving toward the hospital and then called 911. The call was placed at 12.05 p.m. An ambulance met Todd Mullis on the way to the hospital and transported Amy to the Regional Medical Center in Manchester, where she was pronounced dead. The autopsy revealed that the number of puncture wounds in Amy Mullis's back was six, more than the number of tines on the corn rake. Again, the corn rake had four tines. Four of the wounds were at a downward angle and two at an upward angle. Her wrists, knees, and face had sustained blunt force injuries. The death of Amy Mullis was ruled a homicide, as she would have had to have been impaled on the rake at least two separate times, maybe three times. Todd Mullis was interviewed again four days later. Here's what he said at that time. In 2013, he discovered his wife was having an affair. He did not confront her. In July of 2018, he was reviewing his cell phone bill and took notice of a number of text messages between his wife and a man named Jerry Frazier who worked on their farm. He realized that this was evidence of an affair and confronted his wife and Frazier. Both of them denied having an affair. He then goes to speak to Frazier's wife, who also denies that there's any type of affair. Mullis concludes that no affair had occurred in 2018. The matter was closed. He never discussed it with anyone again. Mullis would go on to say that his marriage was good. The communication was great. They spent a lot of time together. They did not argue or fight. The investigators would eventually discover that Amy Mullis did have an affair in 2018. It started in May and continued up until the week of her death. The last time that Amy Mullis and Jerry Frazier saw each other was November 5, five days before Amy was murdered. Jerry Frazier claimed that Amy Mullis told him that Amy wanted to leave Todd Mullis because she was scared of him. She specifically said, if he catches me, he might make me disappear. Frazier went on to say that Mullis did confront him about a potential affair, which is consistent with what Mullis told the police. As a result, Amy and Frazier stopped using text messages. So even though they were caught, they continued the affair, they just changed their strategy to avoid detection. This is actually fairly common. Investigators would discover that Mullis and his wife had been arguing. They had not slept in the same bed for five months. Amy had told friends that she wanted to leave Mullis, but she was afraid for her life. On the day she was murdered, Amy Mullis sent a text message to a friend at 8.11 a.m., writing, still very tense around here, just not sure of anything anymore. As the investigation continued, the police found a number of interesting searches that were made from a device that Todd Mullis had access to. He allegedly searched for a number of different phrases. Here are a few examples. Once you hunt man, you will always feel the thirst. Thrill of the kill. Famous quote, no thrill like that of hunting man. What happens to cheaters in history? What happened to cheating spouses in historic Aztec times? Killing unfaithful women. On November 6, 2018, four days before the murder, he allegedly searched organs in the body. Surprisingly, he did not search for the phrase, what husbands who kill their wives search for before they commit murder. On February 28, 2019, a warrant was issued for the arrest of Todd Mullis. He was held on $5 million bail. He went to trial 
and on September 23, 2019, he was found guilty of first-degree murder. He would eventually be sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Now moving to my analysis. Was Todd Mullis actually guilty? Was there reasonable doubt in this case? Let's take a look at the factors pointing toward guilt and factors pointing toward innocence, starting with the factors that make him look guilty. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Amy Mullis had been impaled on a corn rake either two or three separate times. Even if we just go with two times, it's hard to imagine this happened by accident. Like Amy Mullis fell backwards on the corn rake, hold herself off of it, only to fall on it again. Also, it doesn't explain the damage to her wrists, knees, and face. Amy Mellis was having an affair, and there was talk that she was going to divorce Todd Mellis. This gives him plenty of motive, like revenge, anger, fear about losing money, and fear about losing custody of his children. Todd Mellis's behavior after his son discovered Amy Mellis in the shed is suspicious in a few ways. He removed the corn rake from her body, he put her in his truck, and he waited until he was driving before calling 911. There were a number of suspicious internet searches made from a device that Todd Mellis had access to. I talked about this, but I think that the one that really hurt him was the search term, killing unfaithful women. The security camera that would have captured the shed had been disabled two weeks prior to the murder. It was working again the day after the murder. Mellis said that cats disabled the cameras, like they knocked it off the house, which many thought was not believable. But cats do value their independence. I can see why they would not want to be recorded. He said the camera was working the day after the murder because someone had said, hey, look, there might be footage that the camera captured. So he checked out the camera. That's when he found it had been disabled. Almost lied about his relationship with his wife, claiming his relationship with Amy was fine and he never confronted her about the affair in 2013. Moving to the last item pointing toward guilt, during the 911 call, when Tristan was out of the truck and Mellis was performing CPR, Mellis appeared to whisper under his breath the words, go to hell, cheating blank, the blank being a derogatory term for a prostitute. Among other things, going to hell seems inconsistent with survival on earth, which is the object of CPR. It makes people wonder if his heart was really in it. Now looking at the factors pointing toward innocence. Initially, Tristan had given his father a solid alibi. Tristan said that his father was with him the whole time. They were working together. But as the trial approached, Tristan changed his story a little. In his last version before the trial, he said his father had left him on a few different occasions for less than a minute each time. 
When he testified, his story changed again. Now he said he didn't know how long his father was gone when he left on those different occasions. The reason I still include this under factors pointing toward innocence is because it's still not a terrible alibi. For example, Tristan said his father's demeanor never changed. So we're supposed to believe that Todd Mullis walked over to the shed, killed his wife, and then returned to work like nothing happened? So the alibi is, overall, I think, still good. Moving to the next item, there was no physical evidence whatsoever tying Todd Mullis to the murder, and he did not change his clothes. It's hard to believe he could have committed a murder with a corn rake and not left any evidence behind at all. The next item has to do with an alternate theory of the crime. Jerry Frazier also had a motive. He had a wife and two children. He had a lot to lose. For him, the affair was about sex, not about love. So murder might have been something that was an option. His alibi was nothing more than a son saying that he was with him 35 minutes away from the farm and Frazier's cell phone pinging towers in that area. This alibi is really not that much better than what Todd Mullis had. When considering the evidence, do I think that Todd Mullis was guilty? I think that Todd Mullis was actually guilty, and I think he was guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. It was close, there was some doubt, but I think when weighing everything together, there are too many circumstances that stack up against Mullis. Interestingly, the jury wasn't too sure about this case either. Initially, they were split, but they managed to come to a consensus after only seven hours. The fact that Mullis appeared cold on the stand really seemed to hurt him with the jury. I think this case contains a number of lessons about rage and infidelity. Amy Mellis told friends she was in fear for her life and was planning to leave her husband. She was worried that if she continued having the affair, she was going to get caught and death would be the result. Yet she decided to stay with Mellis and continue the affair with Frazier. Either she did not believe she was actually in danger or the reward of being with Frazier was worth the risk. The latter is probably the correct explanation. For her behavior. I think what happened in this case, and this is just a theory, is that the marriage was probably barely solid enough to survive the first infidelity in 2013. And then when the second one occurred, it just pushed Todd Mullis past the breaking point. He hadn't actually recovered from the first affair when the second affair hit him. The couple sought mental health counseling. Amy Mellis quit her job as a nurse so she could be around the house more often. Mullis started monitoring her behavior closely, including placing restrictions on who she was allowed to hang out with, like what friends she could visit. These actually are fairly normal reactions to infidelity that I've seen many times in my clinical career. Not the murder part, obviously, but rather switching to a more transparent way of operating on a daily basis. This was an attempt to rebuild the trust. This often includes monitoring of electronic devices. It appears as though whatever they were doing was not working. Amy Mellis still wanted more. She wanted another lover. During her relationship with Jerry Frazier, even though he just wanted sex, she wanted to marry him. She was trying to escape a deep place of loneliness and disconnection. Here we see someone caught up in a fantasy, which is why I think she was willing to disregard the risk of being harmed by Mellis. Looking at this from the point of view of Mellis, there is something particularly harmful about discovering an affair and going through all the exercises to put the relationship back together only to find another affair. It does not justify committing homicide, but it does explain where the anger came from. 
Repeated betrayals indicate the relationship will likely never be healed. Ultimately, Mollus couldn't control his anger, which was actually the problem. The anger was understandable. The lack of control of the anger was not. I think toward the end, Mollus was struggling with feelings of rage and an aversion with going to prison, which is why he planned the murder and tried to make it look like an accident. Mollus had a deep-down hatred. This was about making somebody pay for repeated betrayal while trying to preserve his lifestyle. The last time I want to talk about in the case of Mullis is his lack of originality. He ran a farm in Iowa and committed homicide with a corn rake. It's a little too on the nose. There is no social norm that says a criminal method needs to match local cultural traditions or industries. This would be like somebody in Maine feeling they had to beat somebody to death with a lobster, someone in Oklahoma throwing a victim in a tornado, or someone in California overpaying an untalented actor to victimize unsuspecting moviegoers. This has been True Crime Psychology and Personality from Ars Longa Media. This content is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Ars Longa Vita Brevis. So when the scammer uses the hypnotic method of building rapport, then they create dysfunctional, delusional reality. That's how a scam begins, convincing the mark that it makes perfect sense to hand over their money to a con artist. The Scams and Cons podcast tells you how scams are run. You'll hear how people are convinced to buy fake art, buy machines that print money, or steal your house. I get a phone call from my wife, and she let me know that they had decided to move all our stuff out. I can no longer do anything about it except go through an eviction. And you'll hear it from the experts, people who run the cons. So we go to your bank, you go in and get 6,000 cash, give us each 3,000, we give you this. Uh You go home, and what you find out is cut up newspaper. It's fun to know how the trick is done, and that's what Scams and Cons is all about. Listen at scamsandcons.com or wherever fine podcasts are found.